0: Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen. And our students and young people can be dismissed to their classes now. Let's say a quick word of blessing over them, Lord. We know that uh, we want to reach this community for Christ, but we're not content to reach them and lose our children So Lord, would you bless them, bless our teachers, the environment. May they have have a a real positive experience and be gripped by the gospel today. We pray it in Jesus' name together, amen? Amen. 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 Well, about 12 months ago, in fact, it might be to the day, uh, my wife and I were blown away by the kindness and generosity of this church and the elders on your behalf, Decided to give us a gift on our 20th anniversary here of serving at Journey Church. And it was an all expenses paid, actually, it was a budget. So, not all expenses paid, a budget to go anywhere in the continental United States. Uh, Airline flight, stay, they said take Timmy if you want or leave Timmy behind, but we want to just say thank you. So, it was 12 months later. It was actually not this last week, but the week before. My wife and I got to spend an entire week in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And it was an absolute blast. She and I had not skied together. We've skied a little bit, but we would trade jackets with the lift ticket. While one of us hung out with Tim. And and, uh, there was a family that used to send us to Breckenridge. And it was so, so, such a good gift. But my wife and I got to ski together in one of the greatest mountains in, in the lower 48 states. And wouldn't you know it, it, it had not really snowed for two months, but the day we flew in, it began to puke snow. And we would not ski for another day. Of course, we, it was like this, actually. We couldn't see the, the, the Grand Tetons for the rest of our time there. But I'm just telling you, just the joy of being together... The joy of skiing together, playing together, being refreshed together. Thank you so much for your kindness and your generosity. The elders were generous and refreshed us. You have been generous and refreshing to us. And God, God, the Lord is generous and continually refreshes us. Sometimes serving the Lord in the ministry is just so delightful and rewarding. But I'll also let you know, and it's none of you here, but in the last 21 years, and actually we could expe- extend that to 28 years of vocational ministry in two different churches, that it has also been very, very, very challenging. We have, uh, along that journey, we've been hurt, we've been wounded, we've been judged, we've been talked about, we've been slandered, we've been betrayed. I've experienced abandonment. I've struggled with being self-critical, uh, self-questioning, self-condemning, uh, having that overwhelming sense of burden that that if it's broken or if it doesn't go well, if it's not healthy, it's on me. It's on my watch. It's on my shoulders. That I will be accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an overwhelming sense of duty and responsibility. I've often been nervous, um, overwhelmed, insecure, discouraged, and even exhausted. And I would say that this is actually normal for life in the ministry. But it's also the good life it's the good life and this is the life that Jesus promised not just pastors and vocational ministers this is the good life that he offers to all legitimate followers of the Lord Jesus Christ Matthew 7 in the sermon on the summing up the sermon on the mount He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Those churches say, come hell or high water, I'm going to find my joy and my happiness my way. And that's what everyone does. Even so-called Christians. I want to be happy. Jesus goes on to say in that same text, for the gate is narrow. For the gate is Jesus himself who said, I am the the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The gate is narrow. The faith is narrow. True religion is narrow. And it focuses in on the person of Jesus and Jesus alone. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And few are they who find it. It's the way that leads to life. And what is he saying here? That ministry, mission, and faithfulness to the gospel is hard, but it is life. It's the good life. And it is so worth it because it's the gospel. And lives are on the line. The eternal zip codes of individual human beings and entire families and tribes hang in the balance. And to have such a worthy calling... Something worthwhile to pay the cost and to live your life for it is so worth it. And I believe this is at the heart of our text this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And as you turn there, let me just do a quick catch-you-up-to-speed review of why we are looking at the New Testament epistle of 2 Timothy, 12-week sermon series. This is week number 3 or 4. But right now, when Paul is writing this, Nero, you've heard that name? The Roman emperor Nero is on the throne of the Roman Empire, and Paul is in prison again, and this time for good. Paul knows full well he will not get out and be set free, but is going to give his life as a witness to the gospel. Second Timothy, in effect, are Paul's final Words written from this cold, dark, lonely Roman dungeon. In 2 Timothy, is written to a young pastor, somewhere around 37, 38 years old. In the words, the the, the message is, is a message that is clear and intense and urgent. It's an urgent call to Timothy to continue to fight the good fight of faith, to persevere in the gospel ministry. Despite adversity, difficulty, and suffering. It's as if Paul's saying, Timothy, do not be ashamed of Jesus and his gospel. Endure hardship with me. Follow my example. And here's the baton, because tag, you're it, Timothy. There is no plan B. Now next week, we're going to look at some illustrations of what this life of faithfulness looks like. They're going to be like well-driven nails upon which we can hang the truth of what we can expect and how we are to proceed in serving our master. That's next week. Four major illustrations. But today, we have two examples. Real life people. And two of them There's three people, two examples, and they are examples to follow or not to follow. Once again, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, only four verses, verses 15 through 18. This is what Paul says. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phugalas, is that the actual pronunciation, and Hermogenes. Now, quickly, to just stop there and say, it is not known what incident exactly to which Paul refers. This could have been a refusal of Christians in the Roman province of Asia to assist Paul when he was being arrested for the final time, that they all disappeared sort of in the same way that the the disciples disappeared and left Jesus on his own. Could have been that moment, or it could have been Christians from the Roman province of Asia that happened to be in Rome refused to come with him and stand by him in his first trial of this imprisonment. We don't know for sure, but one thing is certain, we know two of the names of the individuals who refused to be identified With Paul, Fugalas and Hermogenes. Nothing else is known about these two except for this one verse. Let's restart. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Fugalas and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anasiphoros, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains." But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So these four verses, really easy to understand. But here's the question, why talk about these three guys by name? Well, I would say this Paul is giving Timothy, and then as we listen in and observe the conversation, giving Timothy and us examples to follow or not to follow. And, and it's an example of what the entire letter is actually about courageous faithfulness, courageous faithfulness to Jesus and the gospel. In fellow believers, instead of being ashamed. Courageous faithfulness on every level of Christian living and ministering. It's as if Paul is saying, Timothy, your ministry matters. Do not bend, buckle, or bail like these two guys. Don't get sloppy or slack. Lives are at stake. Be faithful like this other guy. And in fact... To, to again, just kind of review and bring us up to speed of the emotion, the passion, the thrust, the energy of 2 Timothy. Let me just go over some ground that we've already looked at uh, to catch us up on on just, the again, the passion, the urgency with which Paul comes to Timothy. In verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1, he says, for this very reason, I, I encourage you, fan into flame. It's not okay to be, you know, uh, embers. You've got to, to stoke this thing up, Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. That's like a central text for the whole book, but certainly for chapter 1. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self Discipline or self control. Timothy, you can do this. You have everything you need to fight well and finish strong. The Lord God is in you, His favor is for you, His hand is upon you. Timothy, you've already got, by His grace and mercy, you have what it takes to finish strong. Verse 8, he says, therefore do not be ashamed. There's a temptation. To be embarrassed or to shy away, back down, play it cool. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the gospel. What is the testimony of our Lord? Here it is, simple. Romans 3.23, Paul's letter to the Romans, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We read the rest of the Bible, we get the backstory. We inherited the sin nature from our great-great-great-grandparents, our common ancestry. And because we inherit the sin nature, we act out. Every single last one of us. There is none that does good. No, not one, the scriptures declare. And because of that, our relationship with the creator and the relationship of the creator to his image bearers, you and me, is fractured. That's Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Separation from a holy God. And we did it. It's on us. It's our fault. But God loves each individual and groups of people so thoroughly because he's so rich in mercy. He sent his son, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, God in the flesh, to come and show us the way. He's our exemplar. He shows us an example, but then he also went to the cross as the at one Another way to say that is the atonement, to pay the price for our sins, to bring us back together for everyone that would look to Christ, everyone that would believe upon him, everyone that would receive the gift of the gospel could be made one with the Father for the first time in our lives. This is the good news The good news is not that God blesses good people. The good news is that God loves and forgives and reconciles bad people. This is the testimony of our Lord. That Paul says, don't be ashamed of that because the Jews and the Gentiles all thought that they could earn it. That they could be good enough. That they could do enough kinds of magic uh, incantations or keep enough rules and laws To expunge the bad things done. But the testimony of our Lord is like, no, I will do it for you. But you must come empty-handed and receive. This is the testimony. Follow the patterns. Oh, uh, verse 8 still. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed of Jesus, his word, or his messengers. Timothy, embrace suffering for this worthy cause. Timothy, embrace courageous suffering. And then he goes on in verse 13 and 14 follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in, the, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, I missed that one. Um, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed, Paul says, of the gospel. He's not ashamed. And then, in fact, that's actually stated in his letter to the Romans as well. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of that. And he goes on to say in, in 2 Timothy 13, follow the patterns of sound words that you've heard from me in the, pre, in, in, uh, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells with us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What's the good deposit? It, it is his unique calling his unique ministry a sacred trust given to timothy and we read on and we we jump over to the end of the book just so we get the full thrust and energy of second timothy in second timothy four five he says as for you fulfill your ministry urgency and intensity timothy's got a sacred trust so do i so do you finish well to hear those words well done good and faithful servant is there anything more glorious is there any hope more grand than to arrive on that day and to hear the master say to you to look you in the eyes with a grin and say well done you did it it was mysterious you sought me sometimes I was quiet I watched but you kept going well done good and faithful servant That's the thrust of the letter. There's one more thing that I don't know that we mentioned so far. This letter served as an invitation, an impassioned plea to Timothy to come to Rome. He ends the letter like this, 2 Timothy 4.21, do your best to come before winter. Why? Because it's going to get cold and really, really, really hard. And Paul understands that this was going to be a very risky journey and a very risky affiliation for Timothy to be so publicly associated with the apostle, the radical apostle that was in prison for the gospel. So 2 Timothy is a call, it's a charge, and it's an invitation. But back to these three guys, what exactly... Is it about Fugalas and Hermogenes and Osiphorus that Paul wants Timothy to grasp? Can I just give you a fill in the blank, a talking point? I want, I want to be clear. I want to be honest. That's why I started with my story both the blessings and the joy, but also the difficulty of walking with Jesus and serving Him. Courageous faith is costly. It's costly. Hug it. Let's hug hard but worthy things. Nothing of worth is cheap or simple. Let's hug hard things like courageous faithfulness. Let me just say, most of us here at The Journey are mostly kind, mostly generous, mostly faithful, but for most of us, we are mostly in good times. What will happen if times get mostly hard, mostly difficult, mostly costly? Because many in Asia that were Christians and that professed allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, they did not stay faithful. We know nothing more about Fuglas and Hermogenes than this single mention, this is all there is. But we can imagine perhaps what they were going through because they're not necessarily apostate. Pastor Tyler pointed this out last week. They've not turned away from the gospel. They're just playing it cool. They turned away from Paul. And perhaps there was some logic to their caution, a plausible explanation for their abandonment. I'm going to actually quote Tyler because it was so good that I just lifted it. But I'm not plagiarizing because I'm giving credit. He said, perhaps they are in fear of not, exercise, and not exercising the spirit of power, love, and self-control that Christians have been given. As a result, they are ashamed. I would even add the word embarrassed. Of Paul. Ashamed of his imprisonment. Trying to find a way around the social cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Another way to say that, like, let, let's play it cool. Let's tone it down. Paul's pretty extreme after all. Maybe some of the conflict surrounding Paul is of his own making. Maybe he is unwise and lacks tactfulness. In his own suffering, he is bringing it upon himself. So let's just do the opposite. Let's tone it down. Let's play it cool. See if this blows over. See how it all turns out. But in the final estimation, perhaps they thought they could still be faithful to the Christian message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but avoid pain, suffering, and hard. Whatever the reason, they could have been a tremendous help to the apostle emotionally, spiritually, and physically. But they did not. These two refused to live out their God-given spirit of power, love, and self-discipline these two did not exercise courageous faithfulness they were not willing to pay the cost what a terrible legacy to be inscripturated with this epitaph on the other hand onesiphorus was 100 percent willing to pay the price So beautiful. Look at verse 17. When he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly. The the root word for earnest, you have to actually go, go back four times if you're using like Strong's Concordance to get to the root, to get to the Greek word picture. And the Greek word picture for earnestly is feet. Feet. Talk is cheap. Watch feet. You've heard beat feet. That means like let's get a move on. Let's do this. Let's run, earnestly. And Onesiphorus beat feet, and it says, and he found me. Now, I want to let you know there's no evidence for or against this, but there's many biblical scholars that speculate that Onesiphorus was arrested, imprisoned, and martyred for his identification with the apostle. We have no 50-50. We just know that he was willing to pay that price, certainly, because courageous faithfulness is costly. One of the purposes of the letter, the big picture, is to help Timothy see, understand, consider the cost of courageous faithfulness. And that is why Paul, even while he talks about these three individuals, these two examples, bad example, good example... Actually, it's an also infused with his story of courageous faithfulness. He is telling us or telling Timothy his own story of the price and the cost of his faithfulness. And that's why the, the text began with verse 15. You're, you are aware, Timothy, you remember, you know this story. I'm just reminding, bringing it up for a talking point. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me and he will end the letter in chapter 4 with the same storyline. Let me just give you a glimpse 2nd Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone. Is with me. It's telling his story. And then jump forward to verse 14 through 17. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might, might hear it. So it's not just the example of Fugalas of and Anesiphorus, Ones- it, it's Paul. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my life. I'm sharing em- emotional words. I'm not just telling you facts. I'm saying, This got to me. This hurt me. I'm lonely. I'm scared. Paul is offering his heart. To Timothy is an example of the price of courageous faithfulness. And he was willing to pay the price. We have other glimpses throughout the New Testament. Two places in particular, Colossians 1.24, where Paul hugs it. This is hard, but I hug it. Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? It's for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. Not that he adds to the atonement, but there is more price to be paid for the gospel to get it out to everyone who needs it. And he goes, I'm happy to pay that price. I rejoice in paying the the cost of courageous faithfulness. Fill up the, the afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And then this is fascinating. You go, well, that's Paul. He's an apostle, and you're Jim, you're a pastor. Well, check this out. In Philippians 1.29, Paul talking to all believers in Philippi, and he says this about hugging it. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him. Stop there. Is faith a gift? Yes, it's been granted. To believe, that's a gift, but then there's another gift that comes with faith, and he says it right here, for to you it has been granted for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's a gift, we hug it, it's worth it, it's costly, but it's the hard way that leads to life, abundant life hug it. And then Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In another place, he says that you look to save your life, you lose it, but if you're willing to offer your life up, to to give your life away, you will find it. And we call that the upside down kingdom, but it's actually the right side up people that are so white-knuckling their life, i got to get happy before I die. I deserve to be happy. And they call themselves Christians. They have no thought for the lordship of Jesus Christ. What if happiness is something that you cannot get to in a straight line? And everyone that tries to go at it in a straight line never finds it. They lose their life. But those that say, you know, I'd like that, but that's not for here and now. I'm going after Christ, and guess what? They get that and eternity thrown in. This is the gospel. And Paul is saying, Timothy, don't be like these two guys. Look at Onesiphorus and Timothy, follow my example also. It's costly, but it's worth it. Hug it. That's the second thing, second thing. Normal, everyday Christians are the heroes of courageous faith. I could say normal every day, down to earth, run of the mill. Believers in Jesus are the heroes of courageous faithfulness. Who is this guy? Onesiphorus? There's so little. All we have is in 2 Timothy. Two mentions of this guy are in the verses we're looking at, and once at the very end in chapter 4, he goes, Greet the household of Onesiphorus." And that's the only thing that we can know for sure about this guy. Um, from these two mentions. We discover that he's a Christian from Ephesus. He had a track record of kindness, support, and encouragement for Paul when he was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Paul planted that church and ministered there for three years. And it says in verse 18 in our text today, you well know the service that he rendered at Ephesus, past tense, back when Paul was the pastor, likely. But also, Years later, when Paul went to prison, and he's now in prison, verse 16, Paul is telling Timothy, you know what he did? He came to Rome. He came looking for his old pastor. Paul hasn't been in Ephesus for years. But there's a bond, there's a tie that binds. And Anesiphorus goes, my old pastor, the apostle, the guy who planted the church, perhaps the guy that led me to faith in Christ, he's hurting I must find him. That's what it says here in verse 16. He often refreshed me and was not not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Meaning this guy left the comforts of his life in Ephesus. And he traveled 831 miles as the crow flies. That's how far it is from Ephesus to Rome. Um, at least, at least 1,300 miles by land and sea in the roads that existed. At least that far. This was a perilous journey just to make it there. But then to, to actually go around Rome and ask questions, where is Paul, the apostle? Saul of Tarsus, you know that guy? Going up to Roman officials and seeking his whereabouts you are instantly flagged as someone identified with this Christian movement that was quickly becoming illegal. And yet Onesiphorus has no thought for his own personal safety. Doesn't even cross his mind. Loyalty and faithfulness. He's the hero. So little... That can be known. That's all we can put together. And, and some of that's even a little bit speculative. So little about this guy. And that's the point. That's the point. Say any less and he just disappears. And we don't know that there's a guy like this. Say any more. And he starts to become a pastor and apostle kind of storyline. But Force is just a common run of the mill. Every day, down to earth Christian. He's probably a businessman in Ephesus. And he goes, I'm going to go find my old pastor. Man, because he's hurting. And I want to add to him. I want to bless him. I want to refresh him. He's almost a nobody in this world. But yet the simple act of courageous faithfulness, the simple demonstration of power, love, and self-control is recorded and his name is inscripturated for all eternity. First Peter 125, the word of the Lord remains forever. Onesiphorus' name was written from before the foundations of the world. And Onesiphorus shines like the stars in heaven forever. His name recorded in the scriptures. And that's the point. The implication is that he's no less important than the apostle or Timothy. He's the hero of this account, he is the example. And yet, what he offers is so simple. Listen, do not underestimate who you are or the opportunities God's given you. You don't have to stand on a platform and and flap your gums for an hour. Very few need to do this job. But a lot need to do that job, to be out there in the streets, in the neighborhoods, in the workplace, on the soccer field, the tennis court, so many in the arts, like leaven, like permeating the lump of dough, like salt making the world tasty. Jesus said in Matthew 19, everyone who has left houses, everyone, everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake. So those who are willing to pay the cost and whatever it is that he offers you, whatever under his lordship, he says, yeah, this is your story. Will you follow me? And they say yes, but in so doing, they leave behind the things that they thought would make them happy. Jesus goes on to say, They will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But then watch this. This is mind-blowing. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. You know what I think? I think some of the famous names and voices in Christendom, we might be surprised on Judgment Day how little they are rewarded. And I am convinced that there are the hidden every day. Down to earth, run of the mill, faithful followers of Christ, we are going to be shocked. Many who are first will be last and many last will be first. This all brings us to our bottom line. Our bottom line for our message today in this text and what I believe Paul is getting at. To Timothy and to us. Simple acts of courageous faithfulness, simple acts of courageous faithfulness resound in time and eternity. It pays to serve Jesus. Three reasons why we should seek to be faithful first off, first off because Jesus is Lord and His kingdom is our heart. I believe that th- that's the meaning of the text in matthew twenty five when that we read in our scripture reading today. His kingdom is our heart. we didn't know who the the uh, the, the hungry and the thirsty and the naked imprisoned. We weren't doing it for any other reason other than he gave us a heart to love others, including the marginalized. It's just who we are. It's our heart. And even if we didn't get anything out of it, it's still our heart's true passion to do good. And yes, this should be enough for us. So if you go, it's just because he's Lord. Good, awesome, I love you. But guess what? He promises so much more. That should be enough. But he says, and I will bless you in this lifetime. A hundredfold he just said in Matthew 19. Because Jesus lordness Lord and his kingdom is our heart. Because this is the good life now. He blesses us in the here and now. It is the blessed life Onesiphorus, his his name literally means prophet bringer. Not a prophet like a a man of God, but prophet as an increase. Prophet bringer, and he certainly brought prophet to the apostle in his heart. And while this kind of bringing of prophet should be enough, I just love my brothers and sisters and I want to alleviate suffering and pain. It should be enough it always comes back to bless the prophet bringer. And that is a universal principle throughout the scriptures that cannot be undone. The King Solomon said this in Proverbs eleven twenty five: Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. And you cannot undo that. Oh, I do it just because it's the right thing to do. Praise God. And guess what? He's going to bless you. I don't know how or when, but it's just true because it's true. That's who he is, and we have evidence in this text. In verse 16, the apostle Paul is muttering a wishful prayer for the household of Onesiphorus. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He brought refreshment, so Paul's praying for refreshment. And that is a refreshment in the here and now upon his whole household. I think if Paul's praying for you or him, I think it's a pretty, pretty good foundation. He's praying in Jesus' name, maybe aligned with the will of God. He's praying this blessing. So it's because Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is our heart, because it's the good life now, it's the blessed life, But then finally, it guarantees a future reward. Guarantees it. This is found in verse 18. He he mutters this kind of prayerful wish two times with two different inflections. The first one is a temporary blessing of refreshment upon the household of Onesiphorus. The second time in verse 18, it says, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. That's different than the first one. What is on that day? I believe that's the judgment seat of Christ. That's spoken of in the gospels and all the way through the epistles. That, that born again children of God, Christians that, are, that have received the gospel by grace alone through faith alone, we will be judged for our time spent on earth after conversion. And the penalty is not the lake of fire. It goes from saved to saved and rewarded. And again, it's all over the New Testament. And Paul is wishfully praying, oh God, please reward him on that day. Look what he has done. And what's the idea here is that simple acts of courageous faithfulness delight the Lord and he rewards such faithfulness. I'm reminded of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7. This is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Same word that the Apostle Paul is using. God grant mercy on the household and on that day. And Anesiphorus had demonstrated True mercy, the word mercy in the Greek, ilios, kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted, joined with the desire to help them, and and then again, um, according to Strong's Concordance, the mercy of Christ, whereby at his return to judgment, he will bless true Christians with eternal life. It's both sides of the equation. We show mercy, we're moved with compassion. Whatever we have, whatever opportunities we have and, and it's our heart it's his kingdom it's his lordship but we also know that it's a blessing and it comes back to us and it is rewarded you're here this morning and you say hey i can't i can't do that i am the one that needs mercy right now i'm 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 the one that is weak and sick and naked and hungry I'm the one in distress. I'm the one in a kind of prison. I'm barely surviving myself. I don't have anything to offer. Can I just remind you in the bottom line, simple acts of courageous faithfulness. Simple. Simple. And I encourage you to get out of that victim mentality that says, I can't. I don't have. I'm coming here to receive. And that's okay, we all are in need all the time. We have needs. But to also show up and say, yeah, but I also have something to offer. What do I have to offer? And to show up looking for an opportunity, simple acts of courageous faithfulness. I'm reminded of, of the widow of Zarephah in recorded in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah was sent out of the land of Israel into the region of the Sidonians to a widow there who did not know the Lord. And he went to her and requested a drink of water and a little cake of bread. And she said, I have nothing but a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. And after giving you your drink, I was going to go and collect some sticks, build a fire, make a small cake for me and my son, and then we shall die. And Elijah said, "If you will give the first to me, I will promise you by the name of the Lord, you will always have enough." And it was so. At first blush she goes, "I've got I've got so little and I've got a son. You're really going to take this away from us." And yet she trusted, offered the little she had and was supplied from then on a simple act of courageous faithfulness you say that's an old covenant story old testament miracles happen for Elijah and Elisha and, and Moses and listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10 the one who receives a prophet means they're not ashamed of them they come to town or They're around, but you're bringing them in. You're not ashamed of being affiliated with this man or woman of God. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. All they're doing is receiving them. That is so simple. And anyone can do that. And yet they're blessed. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So simple. So simple. And you know what? It's not even about the receiving and the cup of water. It's about character. It's about your spirit. It's about who you are when no one is looking it's what God desires of a man or a woman. Proverbs 3 3 through 4, King Solomon is passing this on to his son or sons. And he says, Let not steadfast love. That's translated mercy. It's the word chesed, where it's translated loving kindness, goodness, faithfulness, mercy. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness, that's the word emeth, it means stability or reliability. You're the kind of person that can be counted upon when the chips are down. Loving kindness, mercy, faithfulness. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And you cannot undo that. We don't have to have a lot. We don't have to wait for an epic moment. We are called to live by faith, to show mercy, meet the needs of saints, to receive, refresh, resupply righteous men and women and little ones. To be known as a man or woman of steadfast love and faithfulness. Can I give you a few takeaways, some some hints, some jog your mind, perhaps trigger some Holy Spirit application. One, be physically present. Be physical, physically present. Paul wanted Timothy. Forrest went. Paul wants to be with them, physically present to meet their needs. And in that, I want to just encourage you, the, the distractions are the ministry. We have our, I make lists. I love checking things off my list to feel like I'm making progress through my day, and then there's a knock on the door or a phone call. The distractions are the ministry. And you've got to physically be present to be with people in that way. So be physically present. Secondly, be emotionally present. Stop talking, Jim. Stop teaching, Jim. Stop fixing, Jim. But instead, listen and care. Enter in with the people around you. Thirdly, pray. Pray. Don't ask him, can I pray for you? And then, okay, yeah, I'll do that sometime. No, pray. Pray right there. You're a man or woman of God. You're a righteous person. Dear God, and you put your hand on them. Dear Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for this need, for this blessing. Would you please pray right there. Be courageous. Stop being a coward about that. Enter in spiritually, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then financially give of your material resources in order to alleviate the pain anxiety suffering and meet the needs of fellow believers and others and then finally risk your name and reputation to enter in to solidarity with the outcasts and the marginalized stop looking for the cool kid club knock it off look for the marginalized Build a life with them. Simple acts of courageous faithfulness resound in time and eternity. And it always pays to serve Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, this is what you did. You sent your son, Jesus, you came. You entered in with us. You were physically, emotionally, and spiritually present. You offered us and you met our needs You prayed for us, you loved us, and you identified with us. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. We didn't want you to do it. We fought you, we rebelled against you, and yet you died in our place. What a gift. And now we're your people, for those of us who have received Jesus as our Savior, help us to be like you. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.